Awesome journey. Great to see you today. My name is Bob. I'm one of the pastors around here. Get the privilege of getting to teach with you this morning. I teach to you, with you, however, whatever preposition I need to use there. Uh, as I was thinking about our time together, what I really desired for this time and space is that we would have a really open, honest, and vulnerable conversation about the challenges that we experience in life. But the difficult part about that, because I said I want to have a conversation, uh, the difficult thing there is that I'm the only one with a mic, so it's a little bit of a one-sided conversation. Um, but I'm hopefully at the end, I'll give us an opportunity to be able to feed back as well. The reason I want to talk about this topic today is because I feel like it's near and dear to my heart. What I want to talk with you about today is how do we deal with worry? How do we deal with stress? How do we deal with anxiety? And now if I were to try to lead out in this time in vulnerability and, and just kind of pull open the curtain to my own life and the life of my family, I would say that the last couple years of our life has easily been the most challenging season that we've ever experienced. Lots and lots of challenging circumstances. A lot of things creating some uncertainty about the future, dealing with relational conflict along the way and trying to navigate that, financial challenges. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's, it's not just me, right? Am I right? One thing that I heard one time, uh, a guy was a preacher that I really respect. He said, um, if you're ever wondering what to preach about, he said, just preach into your own weaknesses and your own challenges, and you'll never run out of things to talk about. And that's kind of where I feel like I'm coming from today. But what I absolutely believe to be true is that I'm not alone in this. I'm not alone in worry. I'm not alone in anxiety. I'm not alone in stress. Probably every one of us have something going on in our life. Maybe it is around that financial piece of life. How are we going to get through this? There just always seems like there's way too much month at the end of the money. How are we going to navigate through this time? Our marriage. My marriage is in a ditch. What am I going to do about that? How am I going to get that back on track? Health issues. You know, they just, they just come at us. Curveballs in life. Health issues. Just thinking about a friend of mine that I met just a few months ago. Went to try to see him yesterday and he was, he was too sick, dying of lymphoma cancer to be able to even see me. And I know that he would love to be here with us right now. But health issues are just taking him under and his family, creating great uncertainty about the future. Some of us maybe have the issue of a wayward child, making decisions that are just moving them further and further away from God. And we lay awake at night and we're just thinking, are they ever going to turn back? Is there going to be a path of destruction behind them that they'll not be able to recover from? Things that create worry in our life. And because we're people and we live with other people, there's relational conflict. How are we going to deal with that? How are we going to try to piece things back together that are broken? The whole area of relationships on one side, you might be thinking, am I ever going to find a relationship? Am I going to find that one to spend the rest of my life with? And we worry, is that person out there? And maybe on the other side of that, you're just thinking, how do I get out of the relationship that I'm in right now? This is not the one, and I don't know how to get out of it. You, you get the picture 
that I'm painting. Don't you? If, it, if we wanted to, we could all stand up and we could all talk about the circumstances in our life that give us the potential to worry. But how, how are we going to respond to that? How are we going to deal with that in our life? You know, there's, on one side, you can oftentimes see people, they're the ones that just kind of seem like they just never care. Life's just great all the time. But it's not so much necessarily that they've figured out how to deal with worry. It's just that they're probably just irresponsible. You know, they just don't care. And on the other end of the spectrum, we've got the real worriers. You know who you are. In fact, just in the fact that I'm talking about worry right now is stressing you out. Because you know, I don't do a good job with that at all. I don't even want to hear what he has to say. I'm worried about what he's going to say about worry. You know who you are. We're in the room. And we're everywhere in between on that. And we're all trying to deal with it in some way. Everyone in our culture is trying to figure out, how in the heck am I going to deal with this? Am I going to meditate? Am I going to medicate? Drugs, sex, alcohol, try to numb that. In Bozeman, we recreate, don't we? That's what we do with worry. Don't worry, be happy. We're just going to go another powder dale, remove all of the worry that we have in our life. How do we deal with worry? I want to ask a couple of questions to you that I think actually will kind of surface in your heart and mind maybe some of the beliefs that we have about worry. And the first question, if you've been around the church a little bit, you're probably going to recognize this question. But the first question is this. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Obviously, that's a rhetorical question. But you, you get the implication of it. We know that we can't add an hour to our life by worrying. Worrying doesn't do anything to make anything better. We can't even add an hour to our life. Okay, now let me ask you the second question. How many of you probably have taken some hours off of your life by worrying? I mean, you don't have to read a ton on just what goes on inside of us, the emotional stress, the physical stress, the loss of time and energy that it takes internally to deal with angst and worry. Not only does it diminish the life that we have, it actually shortens our life. So we lower our life expectancy and we don't even enjoy the life that we have when we worry. So I think we would all probably come to the same conclusion about worry. It's not helpful. We know that it doesn't accomplish anything. And so because of that, at the end of the day, it absolutely makes no sense. And my guess would be that there wouldn't be someone that would stand up today and say, I totally disagree. I think worry has gotten me to where I am today. I don't know where I would be apart from worry. I don't think that person probably exists because we understand that worry doesn't change anything. So why do we worry? Why do we worry? And here's the problem that we run into as it relates to worry. Worry isn't one of those things that we stop doing by trying really hard not to worry. You know, we can't just sit there and think, I'm, stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. I gotta stop it. That just doesn't 
do it. It's, it's like, it's almost like if I were to tell you, like, don't think about pink elephants. Quit thinking about pink elephants. That's all you can do is think about pink elephants. Worry's the same way. The more that we try to stop worrying by focusing on worry, the less effective we are at it. Here's the thing about worry is it's not something that we focus on to get rid of it. It actually has to be replaced in our life. Worry needs to be removed from our life, but the only way that we can do that is if we replace it with something. It needs to be replaced. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, in probably one of his most famous sermons that he ever gave, was called the Sermon on the Mount. And he addresses this very topic of worry. And th this is what this tells me. This tells me that I'm not the only one. This tells me that worry's been around as long as people have been around. We didn't just come up with this in our 21st century go, go, go lifestyle in America. Worry has been around as long as people have been around. But what Jesus is going to teach us is that dealing with worry has to do with our perspective. If we're going to move worry out of our life and replace it with something, we've got to change our perspective. And Jesus is going to give us some principles that if we embrace these and we live these out in our life, they're going to help us to overcome worry in our life. We're going to be looking at Luke's account of this sermon of Jesus. And it's going to be in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, they're going to be on the side screens. And voila, it's going to be right here as well. Starting in verse 22, this is what Jesus said. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more important than food, and the body more important than clothes. I want us to look really quick at that word there, therefore. Whenever you're reading your Bible, here's a little Bible study tip for you. Whenever you're reading your Bible, and you come across the word therefore, immediately there needs to be a question that comes to your mind. And you're going, to be, you're going to be able to remember this. The question is, what is the therefore, therefore? What is the therefore, therefore? And this is why this is so important. When the Bible uses a connecting word, or an author uses a connecting word like therefore, he's saying, if you're going to understand what I'm talking about here, you've got to understand something that I've already said. Because the implication of that is coming later. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back to what was it that Jesus just talked about? What is the therefore, therefore? And Jesus just got done telling this story about this rich man. And he lived his life. And what he did throughout his life is he accumulated wealth. He accumulated stuff and things. And when he filled up his barns, with stuff and things and money. He went out and built bigger barns so he could get more stuff and things. And finally, he gets to the end of his life. I mean, this, this guy, he, I mean, he's been committed to his 401k. I mean, he made some maximum contribution, employer matching contribution. He gets to a place on his 401k and he says, I'm gonna add another zero and I'm gonna add another zero. And he finally gets to that place where his pile of money is the size that he wants and he says, now, finally, early retirement. It's time for me to eat, drink, and be merry. That's what the rest of my life is going to be about. 
But then Jesus jumps in and the text says this, but God said to him, he said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You fool. See the context that Jesus is talking about when he goes into this section talking about worry, the context is this very true reality that life is uncertain. Life is absolutely uncertain. You do not know for certain what is coming next in your life. The story that he just told about this man is you can't manage uncertainty. There are certain things you just can't put a steering wheel on everything in life and think that you can drive it and tell yourself where everything's gonna go. Life is uncertain. And worry, when we talk about worry, it's just this unhealthy preoccupation that we have thinking about the uncertainty of the future. And we've all had this because circumstances in life are gonna reveal that life is uncertain. Every one of us have had those curveballs in life. But this is what kind of lulls us to sleep is life isn't completely random either. It's not like you just never know what's gonna happen because some things in life are, are pretty normal. You're probably gonna go to work tomorrow. Things are gonna be pretty normal. You don't know everything that's gonna happen, but there's just kind of some normalcy, some rhythms to life. But for every one of us, there are those days, there's those moments, there's those crucial things that happen in our life where those curveballs come our way. And what Jesus is teaching right here is he said, even though absolutely life is completely uncertain, what Jesus is saying is you don't have to worry anyway. Even though life is completely uncertain, you don't have to worry. In fact, Jesus ups the ante even a little bit more. In this text, he actually commands us not to worry. Do not worry. This is what it tells me about how Jesus is thinking about worry. He believes on some level that it is possible not to worry even though life is uncertain. He would not command us to do something that would be absolutely impossible for us to do. So at least Jesus believes that it's possible but this is what's true. It's only possible, and Jesus is going to help us unpack this a little bit. It's only possible when we have the right perspective on our life. When we see God with the right perspective and we see our own life with the right perspective. It's only when we see life through those lenses that we're able to, act, we're able to deal with the worry in our life. And so as Jesus continues his teaching on this, he gives a couple of illustrations to help us get our heart and our mind around what are some of the most important things that we've got to have front and center if we're going to replace worry in our life. And the first thing is this. He gives us this picture, this little story. He says, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Catch that last part there. How much more valuable you are than birds. If there's one thing that Jesus would want you to grab from his teaching right here is simply this. You are valuable to him. Let me say it this way. God cares about you. God absolutely 
cares about you. You are incredibly valuable to him. And he makes this contrast with birds. Because you can think about this in the context of all that God created. We go back to Genesis and look at the creation account. God creates the sun and the moon and the stars. Creates the animals that live in the sea and the animals that live on land. But then there was the pinnacle of creation. The sixth day, he makes man. And he does something incredibly unique with man that he didn't do with anything else that he created. He stamped us with his image. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let us make him. God stamped us with his image and that gives us the ability to know him and to relate to him, to sense his presence and to walk with him throughout our life. We are incredibly valuable to God. But here's what I want you to hear is I think sometimes we can say, I believe that God cares about people in general. But does God care about me in particular? And I think if Jesus were here right now and he were teaching you, he would absolutely want you to hear, I care about you. He would walk up to you and I believe he would potentially even just hold you by the cheeks and just say, you matter to me. I love you. I know what's going on in your life. I know the things that are keeping you up at night. I understand those things and I care about those things. You are valuable to me. And, and the contrast that he's making is between birds and people. And here, now, I realize that there's probably some animal lovers in here, so I want to be careful how I say this. God's saying, if, if I take care of the birds, which in the big scheme of things don't even matter, I mean, I mean we hunt them and eat them for crying out loud. I'm going to get in trouble for that. No emails. But what God is saying, and he's using this Jewish rhetorical device here of arguing from the lesser to the greater. He said, if I take care of birds, because look at birds, they're not stressed out. Have you ever seen a stressed out bird? I mean, they don't have 401ks. You know, they're not laying awake at night saying, am I going to have to move back into the nest with my parents because I can't get a job? They're not just stressed out wondering, is there going to be that cute little chickadee for me to spend the rest of my life with? Birds aren't stressed out, but God says, I take care of them. And if I'm willing to do that for birds that don't even matter, how much more would I do that for you? People that are made in my image, people that I'm willing to send my son to die for, how much more will I want to take care of them? And I know sometimes when I talk about this principle, there can be a little bit of pushback. Because some people say, well, what are you saying? I, I just don't have, I don't have to worry. I don't have to take responsibility. You know, I just sit back and drink a latte and life's just going to take care of itself. I mean, what, why would I study for an exam? I mean, God says don't worry. Why should I even bother? Why would I take all the time to fill out those job applications? I mean, God says don't worry. Why would I take the time and energy that it takes to get some help with my marriage? Because God says, don't worry. God says, don't worry. What he doesn't say is don't care. He doesn't say, don't take responsibility. 
That principle, even though he says birds, they don't reap, they don't sow, the principle of sowing and reaping is maintained in our life all the time. God even says elsewhere in his word, you're going to reap what you sow. It's not about not taking responsibility. But what God says is at the end of the day, when you've done everything that you can do, everything that you are responsible for, you don't have to worry because I care. I want you to trust me. And then Jesus asked the question next in the text that we began with. He says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Again, he's just reiterating that point. We know, we just know intuitively, don't we, that worry isn't gonna get us down the road in anything. And most of the things that we're worrying about never happen anyway. Worry doesn't accomplish anything. And then Jesus gives us another illustration and it kind of mirrors the first one and you need to just understand in Jewish thinking and Jewish writing if you want to emphasize something you repeat it so this is something that Jesus wants to make sure that we get so he says consider how the lilies grow they do not labor or spin yet I tell you not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these if that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Jesus wants to make sure we get it. God cares for you. God can take care of you. Let me say it again. God cares for you. God can take care of you. But here's where I get stuck. Here's where I think a lot of people get stuck. We can come to this place where everything I've said, that makes perfect sense. But here's where we get stuck. We say, I think God can take care of me. I just don't know if he will. I I absolutely believe that God can. He can do anything he wants. I just don't know if he will. Or if I don't know, I don't know if he'll do it in the way that I want him to. God can take care of me, but will he? And then as Jesus unpacks this teaching, he puts his finger on the issue, the bottom line issue in our life that causes us to worry. And he captures it in this one little phrase. He says, oh you of little faith. Oh you of little faith. What he wants us to understand is that worry actually is more a reflection of our faith than it is about the challenging circumstances in our life. Worry in our life actually says more about how we view God than how we view our circumstances. That's how worry and faith are related. Worry is just a symptom of something deeper that's going on in our life. Sometimes I I try to think about it like this. Uh, You know when you're driving your car, you've got those Sometimes I call them like idiot lights. There's probably a better name for that. But you've got these indicator lights on your car to let you know if there's something going wrong underneath the hood. This light will come on. Sometimes those lights will tell you your oil pressure is too low. Sometimes that light will say your temperature is too high. Sometimes that light will say your battery's not charging. What these lights are doing is it's trying to tell you there is something going on underneath the hood that isn't good. You need to pay attention to that. There's something deeper. 
The light is not the problem. I mean, you can try to cover up the light so you don't see it. It doesn't make the problem go away, does it? There's something deeper going on. Friends, I think worry is like a dashboard light for our life. It's a dashboard light that's saying, warning, warning. There's something going on underneath the hood in your life, something deeper. It's not about your circumstances. There's something deeper that's going on, and it has to do with your faith. When I was reading this a a while back, I remember thinking, um, I I was kind of an engineer by training and math and things like that. And so there's, sometimes there's a different way that I see things. And I thought if Jesus was teaching one of my engineering classes in college and he wanted to try to explain this principle to them, what he would have said to us nerds is he would say, you just need to understand that worry and faith are inversely proportional. That's what you need to understand. And he wouldn't have had to tell a story about birds and lilies and all that. He could have just given us a simple equation and just say, worry is equal to one over faith. And we would all went, ah, I get it. But maybe for the non-math majors, let me try to explain what's going on here. What this equation is telling us is that when faith gets really, really big, what happens to worry? It gets really, really small. What happens to this equation when faith gets really, really small? Imagine that number going to zero. What happens? When faith gets really, really small, worry gets really, really big. Faith and worry are inversely proportional. When we see worry in our life, it's actually, like I said, it's saying something about our faith, something about our perspective of God, our connection with God, more than it is about the circumstances of our life. Imagine this. Imagine what your life would be like if every morning when you woke up bright and early, when your eyes just popped open and you're singing, just like all of us are morning people, But imagine if the thoughts that started to go through your mind as soon as you woke up in the morning was that God is big. The God of the universe, he just spoke. And everything that we know that's created was made by him. God is powerful. And God made me. And this same God, he cares about me. He knows everything that's going on in my life. He knows everything that's going to happen to me today, whether I know it or not. He knows all of those things. And what I know to be true is that he's going to actually walk with me through every part of this day today. This God wants to be with me. How would that affect how we walk through the day when those curveballs come? Because curveballs are going to come. How would that affect how we think about those things? It would make a huge difference versus just letting our feet hit the ground, run through the day. When the curveball comes, we have no perspective whatsoever. When I think about what it would be, and I'm not always that kind of person, but when I think about what that kind of person is, I call that a big faith kind of person. Someone who's got big faith. And maybe you're not that kind of person, but you've probably run into those kind of people. And you've seen like how they actually deal with things in life. And it can be pretty amazing because they can be going through life. And when they get a curveball, when the challenges of life come like they do for every one of us, it's very different for them. Rather than having the circumstances of life pin them to the ground or sweep them away, 
Sometimes there's the exact opposite happens. Actually, their perspective on life becomes actually more clear. Their sense of God's presence becomes actually more real. I mean, sometimes I, I, I see the circumstances that people are in, and I just think, if, if that was me, I don't even know if I could get out of bed in the morning. I probably just want to curl up underneath the covers and suck my thumb all day long because of circumstances. But you see these people, it's like they're coming to life in the midst of this. And you got to think, what's going on there? Are they, are, they just, are they just making this up? Are they just putting on a show? Or is there really something else going on underneath the hood that I don't know about that is making them that kind of person in the midst of the challenges of this life? What Jesus does in this text now is he tells us what it is that's going on underneath the hood in those kind of people. Those kind of people that circumstances don't sweep them underneath the rug. And here's what he's going to tell us. He's going to tell us it's all about the heart. It's all about our heart, but not just that. It's what is our heart seeking? What is it that our heart is chasing after in this life? Here's what Jesus says. He says, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Meaning, don't set your heart. Don't chase after the things of this world. Just the creature comforts of this world. Don't just chase after that. Don't worry about those things. And then he says, for the pagan world runs after all such things. And again, he says, and your father knows that you need them. He knows what you need. He knows better than you do what you need. Your father knows that you need them. But then he says this, but seek his kingdom. A big but right there. In contrast, in contrast to chasing after those things, chase after his kingdom. Chase after his kingdom. And he says, all these things will be given to you as well. All these things will be given to you as well. You see, there's a picture that Jesus, and he's drawn a contrast between two different kinds of people. And the contrast is really about what are their hearts chasing. On the one side, he talks about what are the pagans of the world chase after? What are the things that their hearts are after? And I want to I clear this up really. Sometimes when we use the word pagan in our culture, it has this connotation that it's kind of this evil, wicked, the meanest of the mean kind of a person. That's not what Jesus is talking about right here. When they use the word pagan, it just simply means someone that doesn't know God. It just means someone, they don't know who God is. They don't know what he's like. They have no idea what God has done for them. And so this is what their heart is chasing after, which makes absolute sense, doesn't it? I mean, if, if this is it, if this world is it, why wouldn't we chase after this? Why wouldn't we make it about collecting stuff and things? You try to get yours, I'm going to try to get mine. Wouldn't that be what we would be after? But Jesus is saying there's something very different that needs to go on in our heart in terms of what we seek. Because there's a bigger picture out there. He says, don't seek the stuff of this world, but seek my kingdom. People that have that kind of picture of God, that know who God is, they know what he's like, they know what he's done for them, it changes everything. It changes the way they see this world. It changes the things that matter to them because they start to see the world with a very, very different picture. It's not just the stuff happening on the horizontal. They see this bigger picture, this bigger drama of who God is and what he's doing in the world, and they say, that is what I want. That is what I want to give my life to. 
That is what I want to give my money to. That is what I want to give everything to. That is what matters to me. That bigger picture. And it's not just about the spiritual life here on this earth, but it's about eternity forever. That's what people like that are living for. There was a story that I heard about a woman who was dying of a chronic disease and she had the opportunity, I don't know if it's a privilege, but at least the opportunity to plan her own memorial service. That had to be incredibly challenging. But as she did that, she sat down with her pastor and she began to talk about all the things that she wanted to be true at her memorial. She talked about the songs that she wanted to have sung. She talked about the scripture that she wanted to have read. It was gonna be an open casket funeral, so she talked about the clothes that she wanted to wear. And he was taking notes, getting everything down, wanted it to be exactly the way she wanted. And she said, as, the one thing that I want you to make sure you do is, is when I'm in the casket, I wanna be holding a fork. And he had to ask the question, he said, what's the significance of the fork? And she said, my whole life, she said, one of my favorite things to do in life was to go to dinner parties. I just love to be in that kind of environment with people and eating and just being together. She said, my favorite part of the night was when the host or the hostess would be clearing the tables, but before we did that, they would look at everyone and they would say, keep your fork. And she said, I knew when they said, keep your fork, that dessert was coming. And I loved dessert. She said, I want to be holding a fork in that casket because I want everyone that walks by to know that I know the best is yet to come. The dessert is on its way. There's a bigger picture that I've lived for. Friends, that's what Jesus is talking about. He wants us to live this life like people that are holding a fork, knowing that the, the stuff of this earth, as great as it is, God's made this awesome for us. This ain't it, and this ain't the best. The best is yet to come. Jesus is saying you've got to be those savior fork kind of people if you're going to be able to deal with worry in your life. You've got to be able to see that there's a bigger picture than just what we see in this world. Don't set your heart on this stuff of this world, set your heart on him and his kingdom. But what does that mean? What does that mean, set my heart on his kingdom? I mean, what am I gonna tell you? Go do that, go set your heart on his kingdom. What are we even talking about when we say that? It could mean a lot of things because I believe that God wants to speak into your life personally about what that means for you. But in general, I wanna explain to you what Seeking his kingdom means. When there's a kingdom, you know what that means? There is always a king. There is a king that rules in authority in a kingdom. And what living for his kingdom means that we get on our knees and we bow before him and we hold our life up to him and we say, Jesus, you are the king. Whatever you say goes. I'm gonna spend my life listening to you. I'm gonna spend my life responding in obedience because you are the king. Whatever you say, Jesus, that's what I'm gonna do. And I believe that's different for every one of us. But what it means is that we get on our knees before him and we say, Jesus, what is it that you want me to do? How do you want me to live out this kingdom thing? 
to honor you with my life. That's simply what it means. If I were to boil it down to one word, I would boil it down to the word surrender. It just means holding up our life to him, surrendering our life to him, and just say, Jesus, I'm wiping the slate clean with my life. You write the picture. Whatever you say, I'm not gonna just kind of live for myself over here, live for the world, and just kind of hope you bless those things. It's like, Jesus, I'm all, I'm all yours. I'm all in. And it's when we get to that place, when we have that kind of trust in our God that we're willing to give our life to him, that we're able to trust whatever comes our way, that God's gonna work in and through those things to make us the kind of person that he wants us to be and to live out the kind of life that he wants us to live. It's that picture of surrender. And you know what? We can surrender our life, our uncertain life, because we don't know what's gonna come tomorrow. But we can do that to a God that we know cares about us, and he does know the future. I want to just ask you to set your things aside, and I want to ask you a couple of questions, and I want you to take some time to reflect on these as we get ready to close here. I just want you to think back through anything that's gone on in your heart and mind over the last several minutes since we've all been here together. I just want to ask yourself, is there any way that God has nudged you? Has his spirit prompted anything in your life? Has he brought a thought to your mind? Something that's grabbed your attention. And I want to ask you a couple questions about whatever that is that God has surfaced in you. I want you to ask, God, what are you saying to me about that? God, what are you saying to me about that? God, how do you want to speak into that? And the second question I want you to ask is, God, what do you want me to do about that? God, I want to follow you in obedience. I want to do whatever it is that you're asking me to do. Those two questions, God, what are you saying? What do you want me to do? Take a few moments to reflect on that, and I'll close this in a bit. Father, I just want to come before you with my friends that are here and just say thank you that you are a God that cares. God, thank you that you are a God that is powerful. You know the future. God, there's no curveballs with you. You see everything. 
You know everything about us. Lord, you know the things that make us scared. You know the things that keep us up at night. Lord, and you want to press into those things with us. Lord, thank you that you speak. Thank you that we can actually come before you and say, God, what do you want to say to me? And believe and know that you want to speak into those things. And Lord, we want to respond. We want to do whatever it is that you're asking us to do. Lord, show us what the next steps are. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. We want the rhythm of our life to be hearing and responding to your voice. Because we love you and we want to represent you well in this world. God, we love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. When I began, I said I I wanted us to have a conversation. And I've kind of monopolized that a little bit. I get that. But I want you to have an opportunity to have a little conversation of your own. Whatever it is that you felt like God nudged you, whatever it is that you felt like, I think this is what God is saying to me. I think this is what he's asking me to do. I want to ask you, whoever you came with today, talk to them about that. Share with them the things that bubbled up in your life. And if you didn't come with someone today, in the age of technology, you were just a phone call away from someone, just bring those things out. Bring those things out with them. Talk with someone about what God is doing in your life. And just discuss it with them. Some accountability around that. God is speaking to you. What is it? Don't let that moment pass. Have that conversation with someone. Let's worship. Let's worship.